Newly released data show that it's taking a major hit during the pandemic. Enrollment across the country is down 6.6% since 2019. That means that since COVID arrived, more than a million students have opted not to enroll in a two- or four-year college or university. Here to talk about the importance of these numbers and how this could impact the economy is NPR higher education correspondent Alyssa Nadborny. Welcome back, Alyssa. Hi. Walk us through the data that came out yesterday from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. So the big number is, as you said, more than a million fewer students are enrolled in college now than before the pandemic began. And that decrease represents the largest two-year drop in more than 50 years. So that's a lot, a lot, a lot of students. Um, The biggest biggest sector that's been hit across the whole pandemic is community colleges. Um, They are down 13%. But actually what's interesting in the fall 2021 number is is that bachelor's degree seeking students at four-year colleges made up about half of the shrinkage. Wow, yeah, that was was one of the big surprises for me that that the four-year bachelor programs were down. Why is that significant, Alyssa? So that is significant because, you know, it's kind of a different, it signals a different thing in the economy, especially because it really means that, people are rethinking college in general. You know, community colleges tend to serve more low-income students, more students of color, perhaps students who are parents or going back to college as as adults. These are already students who that decision to go to college is kind of a much bigger deal, right? They're making like a big life change, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, Students at four-year colleges not showing up, that's signaling that this is something bigger than that. This is something maybe perhaps even bigger than the pandemic disruption. This is rethinking what college is, the value of college. And that's a a little scarier. And we're continuing to see a decline in enrollment in graduate programs too, right? This was also a surprise because grad programs had gone up the first year of the pandemic. And perhaps that's because, you know, there's there was uncertainty in the economy. Um, you know, we've talked about kind of the K-shape economy where folks who already had a bachelor's degree were much better positioned. So they could kind of say, hey, this whole pandemic thing is kind of wild. I'm going to go back and get a graduate degree, right? I'm going to get a master's or, or something higher. So that was kind of happening in the first year of the pandemic. And we saw second year of the pandemic, fall 2021, those numbers are now down about 11,000 students. Well, you know, as we mentioned, you cover higher ed, Alyssa. So you've seen this type of stuff, but you just used a word that I, I want to know more about. You said it's scary. Why is it scary to you? Well, because we know that having a credential will improve your lifetime's earning, lifetime earnings. And uh, kind of what we're seeing right now, and, and perhaps where a lot of student or would-be students are, is working because wages at the bottom of the economy are high, right? I mean, we, we got some government data that shows um, non-managers working in leisure and hospitality are paid 15% more now than a year ago. So those wages are high, and that can be really enticing for students, for would-be students to go to work instead of going to college. Mm-hmm. But we just, we have the research that shows that's kind of a short-term benefit versus a long-term benefit, which would be kind of the wages that you'd make from getting more credentials, more post-secondary education. Yeah. So you say young people are turning to jobs instead of college. What kinds of jobs are they turning to? Well, they're turning to jobs that you can get with just a high school diploma. So these are jobs that are at the bottom of the economy. Um, I have been keeping in touch with a guy who graduated in um, 2020 from high school. He originally worked at Jimmy John's for the first year. When we talked last year, he was like, I'm going to go to college in fall of 2021. I just need to make a little money 
Um, when I spoke to him again just a couple months ago, he had instead gotten a higher paying job. He makes about $5 more per hour now at a warehouse okay. and is, is pushing college off a little bit longer. Many unionized blue collar jobs can uh, provide high wages, right, on par with mm -hmm. um, some jobs that require college degrees. Is there data yet, Alyssa, for how many young people are turning to the trades? Well, OK, so here I think is an ins a really important distinction. I'm glad you asked this. So it's important to note that a lot of community colleges are where people get the training and the credentials to do those trade jobs. So I think sometimes there's some confusion here when we say college, like, oh, but can't people, you know, go into the trades? Well, actually, a lot of the trades happen at community colleges. That's where folks get job training and mm -hmm. credentials. And so seeing that big drop at community colleges is worrisome because that's where you're going to get that training, those credentials for those, quote, trade jobs. I see. We also know college tuitions uh, uh, continue to increase. Yep. So is yep. that a deterrent? I have heard from so many people that this is a big part of the equation. You know, we had some recent research from the Department of Education that said your perception of what you can afford actually influences if you're going to apply. So cost here is a big factor. And it's important to note that sometimes it's even the perception of that increasing tuition cost mm. that is kind of informing some of these decisions and not even what that actual price, you know, that what you'll actually pay. It's like this perception of that sticker price of pirate oh, is super expensive and it might not be for me. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with NPR higher education correspondent Alyssa Nadworny. We're discussing declining college enrollment. Now, in just a few minutes here on Reset, Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul will join us and talk to us about a settlement that's canceling $1.7 billion in student loan debt. So stay tuned for that conversation. So, Alyssa, how are the young people that you've talked to, uh, how are they overall thinking about and planning for the future then? Well, you know, what's interesting is they all seem to have an understanding that if they go back to school or if they start school, they can get higher paying jobs and they'll be more stable. I think the, the reality is it's just hard to make that decision right now. It's hard to think about the future when you're si surviving this moment. A lot of the students I talked to said, you know, their plans are still to go to college. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's hard to give up the paycheck that they're making right now because they took time off or they delayed. I think, of course, the, you know, the virtual factor is is definitely, you know, embedded in that decision. A lot of community colleges still have virtual options. We're seeing every day the headlines, you know, of fatigue. folks delaying the start. <laughs> yeah, the fatigue and then, you know, um, kind of delaying that start of even the spring semester at some of the big universities I see. Um, to go virtual. And so I think that's, that's a factor, too. They're kind of like, I want to wait this out and I want to go in person. So it's, it's a number of things, but it's all coming together because a million students is just a lot to be missing, to be missing from colleges. Oh, yeah. Incredibly huge number. And it also seems like the idea of the pandemic gap year, like that was oh, a myth. Yep. Yes. Yes. A lot of people said, OK, well, they're just going to take a year off and they'll go back. We know from data that that did not happen. We have some really good data from the National Student Clearinghouse that shows People who graduate, high school students who graduated in 2020, who did not go to college, just 2% returned to college last fall. Just 2%. Wow. Yeah. And we, we also have pretty strong research that shows the longer you wait, you know, the more years you take off, the harder it gets to go back to college. You have a life. You make a paycheck. You have a family. Mm -hmm. You have car payments. You know, it's life. It's it snowballs. 
So what are you anticipating the effects on the economy to be? Well, in terms of wages, I mean, that's kind of the biggest ripple effect, right? So the the higher wages mean higher taxes. Um, It means uh, increased GDP. Um, There's some research that showed the effect of um, Biden's, which is now dead, free college program would add a lot to the GDP. So we have kind of economic research that shows just what this means for the infusion in the economy when you have workers that can fill those jobs that are empty, that can fill those higher higher wage jobs. I think that's the biggest question is kind of like what, how do we feel this and when, right? Mm -hmm. Like when does the trickle actually happen? And given this shift, do do you think that overall the the value of college Mm -hmm. is changing? I remember when I was growing up, it it was a big deal. Like it was something you worked towards, you looked forward to, you tried to make sure your grades were just right. It was a big deal. You you had this, this sense that I needed this in order to survive, in order to make money, in order to provide for a family. But is is that changing? Well, I think we're, we're thinking about things differently. And that's why I said it's really important to think of community colleges and credential programs as college, as post-secondary, because I think there has been some reevaluation of what you actually need to get a good paying job. I do think some post-secondary education is part of that equation, but we have a long way to go in terms of communicating that college can be affordable and also just making it affordable. You know, we have under, under-resourced higher ed at the state level mm-hmm. for years. And so I think as a society, I think we really need to make a stronger effort to make college more affordable because that's a huge, you know, component of this conversation. Yeah. So tell us some more things that you think colleges need to do to just try and get students back? Well, we've heard from a lot of kind of innovators in the space that being flexible is really important. You know, a lot of stuff in higher ed is just rigid. That's how we always did it. Office hours, you know, are nine to five. That's not so great with parents or adults who are returning to school that may have a job during the day. So flexibility is definitely a key. I think also just removing barriers to access higher ed Um creating transportation opportunities, bus routes that actually go to the university or go to the community college. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of innovation happening, but it's not super pervasive. It's not everywhere. Um, I talked to a community college that's waiving application fees. That's one way to get people to kind of get into the system, right? Like, yeah. Why do you have to pay 50 bucks just to apply? So I think there's like a lot of kind of little tweaks, nudges, if you will, and did they that say colleges that, could do. Did they say that they were seeing any... Uh, improvement was that effective yep that was actually in in a spring last spring when most community colleges had major downturns in their enrollment this specific college in orlando actually kept steady which is a, a remarkable feat during the pandemic wow well what about student debt forgiveness Yes. Well, I think there is a lot of hope out there, of course, that that there will be some student debt forgiveness. We have seen there's been lots of reporting that um, Biden does not look like he's going to do blanket debt forgiveness. Um, I think this is really important for borrowers who are on hold right now. Of course, we know there's a federal student loan pause. Um, so payments don't begin until May 1st. Um, so that's about 41 uh, million borrowers are in that bucket. Um, I think it's really important to get your ducks in a row if this is you and not be holding out for, for loan forgiveness. Um, I think there, you know, it, interest is zero. If you can ap- afford payments, now is the time to do it. All of your monthly payments will be going to your principal, mm-hmm. not interest. Um, but yeah, I think that is a thing I hear a lot from talking to borrowers that they're kind of holding out hope for loan forgiveness. 
it doesn't look likely and you really want to get yourself in a good position once those those payments resume May 1st. That was Alyssa Nadwarney, NPR's higher education correspondent. Thanks so much. Oh, you bet. So nice to talk to you. Staying with higher ed, if you have student loans through Navient or you took out loans with its predecessor, Sally May, you might be seeing some money come back your way. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul announced yesterday that our state and others have settled a lawsuit with the company that will cancel out billions in debt for some borrowers. And joining us now is the Attorney General. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So this is a huge settlement. Uh, your predecessor originally filed the lawsuit back in 2017, so sounds like a long time coming. It is, it is. Um, and in fact, um, we began in investigating under my predecessor in 2013, and um, Illinois and the state of Washington were the first two to initiate initiate an uh, investigation uh, um, into in, into Naviant and for their mm-hmm. both their um, loan servicing practices and their origination um, and, uh, practices as well. Here on this program, we, we've covered the impact of, that student loan payments have on people's everyday lives. So I want to play you a clip from a voicemail that we got from Jenny in Edgewater. It's kind of disappointing to go into my 30s with way more debt than either of my parents or my grandparents had at this age. Not to mention, I don't own a home and I couldn't afford kids at this point. What kind of impact do you hope that the settlement's going to have on Illinois residents? Well, you know, First off, I think it it changes. It, it will hopefully have impact in changing practices going forward, such that um, the injunctive relief uh, forces Naviant and, and sets an example for others to not uh, participate in uh, practices that mislead um, um, borrowers into situations where they can't live the American dream, where they can won't be, won't be able to buy a home, start a family, have kids, because they're saddled with debt. Oftentimes, debt that they got nothing for. Mm. Well, let's get into it, uh, Attorney General. Lay out what the lawsuits filed against Navient were alleging. Yes, yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, they, they originated predatory uh, subprime student loans, and and that they steered uh, borrowers into forbearances instead of um, steering them to to income driven repayment plans that were available that would have been more affordable to. What does the the settlement provide? How, how much money are we speaking about here? Well, over, overall, um, it's um, one point seven billion dollars uh, nationwide. Really, one point eight point five billion if you count money going to the states. But um, well, but um, when you talk about um, the the impact here in um, the state of the state of Illinois. About um, over eighteen thousand borrowers will will receive uh, restitution payments, um, and then about uh, fifty two hundred borrowers will receive uh, debt ca- cancellation, amounting to over one hundred 
uh, people who um, took out private loans through Navient or Sally Mae, uh, they'll only be receiving 260 Yeah, those are the restitution payments. I think the bigger impact is on the, uh, with regards to, to, to the debt, debt um, cancellation. Yeah, why is that number so low? Um, that's, you know, uh, that's where we could get, uh, with the settlement, but I think the number, the number with regards to debt cancellation is, 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 is significant. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as you, you've made clear, only some people will have their loans forgiven. Remind us who falls into that category again? Yeah. So, in terms of the, um, having loans forgiven, um, there, there are a lot of students who, um, borrowers who have, because um, many are no longer students, uh, who have private subprime uh, student loans with Navia made after 2002. Um, most who attend uh, for-profit institutions, um, and uh, they would have to have been uh, seven months past, past due on, on June 30th of, uh, of last year. Um, okay. Uh, do you have any intentions to file lawsuits against other loan servicing companies? We continue. This is this is um, this is part of long-term advocacy on behalf of this office that pre, um, uh, started before my tenure, and um, and so we continue to advocate um, for student loan forgiveness. I testified myself before the U.S. Senate um, last August um, to try to in favor of. Um, Allowing students to have discharge in bankruptcy the same way some of these for-profit institutions have, and uh, there seem to be some bipartisan interest in, in in allowing for such such relief. So we we will continue to advocate um, for for relief. Uh, we also advocated for here in the state legislature uh, for what we call the No Before You Owe um, Act that makes sure that. Um, Students are directed to the more affordable federal um, loans if they still have mm-hmm. access access to it before they go out to these more expensive private loans. Well, that's Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul. Attorney General, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.